This episode was so much fun to put together with my colleague and friend, Rabbi Jessica Minnan. We spend the next half hour talking about a specific text and its connection to a word related to Jewish grief and mourning. I don't want to give too much away, but I did want to pop on to let you know that we talk openly about masturbation, orgasm, sex, and semen. And yes, it's completely connected to where Judaism meets death and dying. Welcome to the B-Side Project, an exploration of where the end of life and Judaism intersect. My name is Sarit, and I'm out to uncover what wisdom and rituals Judaism provides for the dying, for the people caring for the dying, and for what comes next. My name is Jess Minnan. I am a rabbi. I am based in Denver, Colorado, and I am a part of what we call the innovation sector of the rabbinate. I am a thought leader and writer and curriculum creator and teacher, and my passion is trying to understand all of the ways that Judaism and Jewish learning and text can enrich meaning-making in our lives. So, Rabbi Jessica Minnan, Jessica Minnan, Jess, I'm going to call you Jess. Yeah, you guys. Because I know and love you. We're going to go with Jess from here on out. Yeah, this is a Sarit and Jess kind of conversation. This is a hundred percent a Sarit and Jess kind of conversation. (laughs) This is like the one of the great backstories of how how a Jewish conversation evolves. Like a very ancient, rooted Jewish conversation has evolved using this very modern technology into something both hilarious and truly, truly powerful. Do you want to, do you want to share where that started? No, no, you, you, okay, you I'll share. start, I'll start with a little I'm bit. just really, I'm impressed by us is what I'm trying to say. We're amazing. That's my, this, this feels par for our course though. So the backstory is that about a month ago, I was exploring a word that is actually new to me as I was diving into the work of the Beside Project and really beginning to learn a little bit more about death and dying in Judaism. And that was the word onen. And the word onen, I learned, was a uh, transitory time in a mourning process after someone has died, but they have not yet been buried. They Before they become an avel or a mourner, they're called an onen. And that is a space in which there are certain rules and regulations and suggestions of how to be in the world. It is a time to get ready for the burial. Um, And I really, it was really fascinated by the fact that we had a name for this period. And so I wrote a blog post, one which I was very proud of, I might add, about being an Onen. And I told you I was going to write a blog post about being an Onen. And just what did you respond? Aside from enthusiasm and full support, of this certain, oh, I, I, I was like, you know, it's fascinating because it's fascinating that you're writing about this. I love the connection. And I taught, I, I told you that one of my favorite pieces of sort of connective tissue around this topic is, is language, particularly in French, which is the phrase la petite mort, which in French means the little death and is the phrase, a phrase, a euphemism for orgasm. To which I said, yeah, it is. Isn't that interesting? And then moved on. And it wasn't until I published this blog post 
when a friend of mine from Israel reaches out to me, a shout out to my dear friend, Kim, and says, hey, Sarit, interesting word you've got here. Where does it come from? And I go back and I um, I find, uh, I go onto Safaria, which is this amazing website, this resource. I take a screenshot and I send it to Kim and I'm like, look, it's here. It's a real word. And she responds, cool. But in modern Hebrew, it means someone who masturbates. And that's about when I started connecting dots and reached back out to you. Because I had assumed when you, before reading the article, when you were just talking about it, I was like, oh, it's an interesting choice to, to, you know, start thinking deeply about death and dying. And and one of your first pieces is a, a piece about onanism, but I, you know, I can make the connection. It's, it's not a stretch. I, I'm, and I think it's a fascinating one. And I was like, wow, you're brave and cool. And wow. (laughs) Because I assumed you were talking about the connections between life or potential life and, and semen and ejaculate. And you, and you just weren't. (laughs) I just was not. And yet (laughs) here we are. Yeah, here we are. And I I hope I haven't lost all my cool points from all my cred with you because I'm really excited to dive into this. It was like an entire world. It was like, you know, when you watch the cartoons and someone eats something marvelous for the first time and all of a sudden they start seeing psychedelic colors and the world kind of opens up. Like, I feel like that's what happened. It was like very microscopic and thinking about this word and this time. And I, I went in a really deep and what I hope is reflective direction. And then there's this entire other side. And along the way, I've also learned that there is a character in the story in, I think in, in the Bible, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. In the Bible, in the, in the Torah, in the first five books of Moses and in Genesis chapter 38, if you want to look it up, this is what I wrote my master's thesis about. (laughs) Which also is new information to me. Really? I didn't tell you that? I did not know until this whole thing came up. You told me this in part of this conversation, but like, Onan, not, not a, not a hero on my radar. Um, No, definitely not taught to me in school. No minor character. So Jess, we're here so you can teach me something. Poor, poor Onan. The thing we have to get about the whole, the whole of the chapter that he appears in, and we're going to start with this and then make that connection between Onan and Onanism and Aninut or mourning. And it's not just mourning. It's that raw, stricken period of mourning immediately after someone dies before they're buried. So it's a specific type of mourning. So Onan, first you have to understand, okay, this is so exciting and wild. So you're in the middle of the Joseph story, right? That's that's where we are, it, you know, a macro level in the book of Genesis. It's like Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat and the whole thing with his brothers. And it's like, okay, they're going to kill Joseph. They're not going to kill Joseph. They're going to sell him into slavery. They sell him into slavery. And then, and then the Bible's like, meanwhile... <laughs> And there's this whole aside, like a literal aside, like an entire chapter, it plopped down in the middle of the Joseph narrative about Judah, one of the brothers, and Tamar. So Judah has his own family and he has these sons and the older son is named Er, like E-R in English is how we would render it. And the younger son is named Onan, 
O-N-A-N is how it's rendered in English. And so as you do in biblical times, Judah goes to get a wife for his elder son. And the woman he comes home with is Tamar. What happens is really fascinating and it happens in quick succession. Judah gets a wife for Er, his firstborn, her name is Tamar, but Er, Judah's firstborn, was displeasing to God, and so God kills him. No more information about Er or what happens to Er. You have to take it up in the Midrash, which is collections of like fan fiction written by the sages over the centuries to explain these wild gaps in biblical narrative. Then, literally the next line, Judah says to his second son, our, our guy, Onan, okay, Onan, now it's time for what's called the Leveret marriage. You're going to marry your brother's wife, sleep with her, and provide offspring for your brother. Now, if that sounds at all familiar, it's probably from the book of Ruth. Um, that's where it gets the most airtime in terms of when we hear about about these types of stories, but it's this idea that like, if something happens to someone in the line of succession in a family, the next person down, the next male down takes on the role of that brother. But Onan knew that his child with Tamar would not count as his, right? It would be heirs. It would be considered heirs heir. <laughs> Literally. So whenever Onan had sex with Tamar, he, the, the language in the Torah is rendered as he would waste his seed or he would let his seed go to waste. Essentially it's coitus interrupted. He would pull out whenever he had sex with Tamar so that she wouldn't get pregnant. And then the very next verse is, and what he did was in the eyes of God, displeasing. And so God does what God does when God is in a bad mood and smites him. And that is where we get this idea that there's something connected here about the life giving or life potential properties of semen, not realizing those, that, that potential and Onan and where the term Onanism comes from. That's a lot. Did it all make sense? I'm with you so far. You're with me so far. So what I ultimately was fascinated about by this story was its structure and its placement. And what ends up happening is that Judah sends Tamar away after the two sons die, because he's like, something's off here. And maybe it's you. (laughs) He sends her away and She's pissed. And so she ultimately, yeah, is she rightfully so. And so instead of being like the passive, the passive female character to whom things happen, Tamar actually goes out. It gets a little, bear with me. She goes out, she disguises herself in the garb that a, um, that a prostitute would normally wear to identify herself. She stations herself on the road where she knows Judah, her father-in-law will pass by. And he has sex with her thinking that she is a prostitute, impregnates her. Okay. And this line ultimately leads to 
ultimately, ultimately leads to Boaz, who is the, the, the male protagonist in the story of Ruth, who ultimately, ultimately leads to David. So this line actually has a lot, there's a lot riding on this line of succession. Um, and it's a fascinating story. But what I want to elevate is not all the sort of biblical commentary around Onan and Tamar and what Tamar does and et cetera, but actually to elevate um, some teaching by Tikva Freimer Kensky. I don't know if you've heard of her. She's like ridiculously brilliant. Her, her, she does feminist theory. She's a religion professor. She has written about this um, because there's a connection made in Talmudic times. There's a connection made in the Gemara about Onan's actions and what actually, what was the transgression? What did he actually do that was so offensive, that was so displeasing to Adonai, to God, that God kills him? Right. And the rabbis in the Talmud say, well, it's because of the, it's, it's because he pulled out. <laughs> and Tikva Freimer Kensky actually says, listen, there's three possibilities here and we have to consider them all. One, he actually refuses to complete the obligation of the lever at marriage. He doesn't do it. So it may have nothing to do with the shedding the seed in vain. It could just be that he doesn't buy into the system. He's not going to be a part of this, this sort of familial system of, of using himself to project to progenerate for his brother. And why would he not want to do that? Because if he does that and she has a son, the son becomes the inheritor, not him. It's there's there's this whole economic dynamic that under well it doesn't doesn't economics always undergird sexuality? There's always a connection. Isn't totally. There? And this feels very Shakespearean, right? Like we've heard this story before about inheritance and who has the power and you know children and babies being killed so that older people can retain this feels very familiar right it's it's a i mean there's something like soap operatic about it but there's also something like yeah like we should talk about this stuff we should talk about family dynamics and money and sex um so the second possibility she says is the coitus interruptus right it's the shedding seed in vain it's the idea that that semen uh, sperm has this um this life potential and so it should only be used if the potential is there to give life, fine. And then the third possibility is that the transgression is actually just having sex with Tamar, period. Because she would normally be prohibited to him because she is his sister-in-law. She would be prohibited to him outside of the context of this leveret obligation. But since we know that Onan is not actually intending on engaging or fulfilling his leverage obligation, she should still be prohibited to him. And it's just a genius way of thinking about it. So what, what Freimer Kinski is offering here is that we, we have a choice as inheritors of Jewish texts and inheritors of the, this language to engage and say, love you rabbis of the Talmud, sages, where it's at, but you don't have to agree with everything they say. That's not part of the deal. You get to argue, you get to debate, you get to be a part of the conversation. 
And so I look at the, the passage from the Talmud, which we'll, we'll talk about in a second. And it's like, okay, it could be prohibiting the spilling of seed or pulling out, but do we want to make the jump that it's actually also prohibiting masturbation? I'm not sure the answer is yes. I'm in a new stage of my rabbinet, right? <laughs> like, are, are we going to pretend like we don't masturbate? I don't think we should, right? I think we should talk about the fullness and richness of our God-given or divinely inspired, however you want to look at it. Our sexuality is a miracle. It's a miracle. And we should treat it like it matters, not like it's something that should be hidden. So I'm not into, I, I, I agree with Frymer Kinsky. I think that what she's getting at here is the idea that we don't necessarily have to read this story as a prohibition of masturbation. We can, the sages do, and we should look at that because it's just a fascinating doff of Gemara. But does that mean that we should read this as like, I'm not going to masturbate anymore? No, <laughs> it does not mean that. Amazing. So how do we go then from this fascinating interlude of a story to Onan and Onanism being repurposed for a word with mourning? Okay, great question. So the first part is like, let's, sort of track where we, how we get from Onan, the character and his interactions with Tamar to masturbation. Let's start there. So we learn in the Talmud in Tractate Nida of the Babylonian Talmud and it's stuff um, 13a, if you want to look it up. And should you ever look it up, this is a great stuff. The rabbis are actually arguing about why the death penalty was imposed in general in the Bible. And this example comes up. The Gemara asks, um, Rabbi Yochanan, the Gemara is teaching. So Rabbi Yochanan adds to the conversation and says, anyone who omits semen for not, fancy language for masturbation, or um, coitus interruptus, like a man who ejaculates in a, um, in a sexual situation, but does not intend or have the intention of impregnating a woman is liable for the death penalty. And Rabbi Yochanan uses this as an example in a larger conversation about the death penalty with the proof text of the verse from Genesis, it came to pass when Onan has sex with his brother's wife and spills his seed on the ground, um, the thing he did was evil in the eyes of God and God killed him. So that's the proof. That's, that's Rabbi Yochanan coming and saying in this larger conversation about the death penalty, like, here's an example of something that you get the death penalty for in, in the Torah. And here's why. So that's how we get from Onan to prohibition of ejaculation to prohibition of masturbation. Because this comment by Rabbi Yochanan is ultimately used in the as Halachar, Jewish law evolves, to, to prohibit masturbation itself, like masturbation for the sake of itself, not coitus interruptus, but like straight up masturbation. So the question remains: like, is this in any way related to 
onen, as in aninut, as in the intense mourning period. And I can't find in my research on this, and I, I, spent, I spent a few hours on it, okay? I can't find a text that connects them. I can't find a place where it's clear that there's a connection, even though they ha- they clearly have the same root, right? All of nanun, it's all of nanun onan, all of nanun onan. It's like it's the same root. But what I was hoping I would find is some kind of textual connection, and I couldn't find one. And that's also fascinating. It doesn't mean there isn't one. But I look at the root of the verb all of nanun, and it means. To, to complain, to murmur, to lament, but it also can mean to cry out or, well, it can mean like, ah, oh, like that. That's what it can mean. So it's not at all a stretch to, to, to literally hear in the meaning of the word, la petite mort, the, the, the pain of death or the joy of orgasm. And we should connect those things. That is amazing. It would have been more amazing if I could have find, and, and maybe it's out there and maybe one of your listeners knows, knows it, in which case they should write in and, and tell us where to find that connective text. Because the onan in a morning sense is like in a state of complete shock and disorientation. And it it's almost like the sort of the inversion of, you know how when you have an orgasm and you kind of like black out for a second, like you're in this other space and there's no, you can't be anywhere else. You, you can only be in that moment. It's kind of like what they're talking about with on with mourning, yeah. but as a result of grief, as opposed to sexual pleasure, there's, it's a state of suspension. It's a suspension of consciousness. It's the suspension of like awareness. It's a suspension of self. What I also just realized as you're sharing this, this learning is that Onan himself was a mourner. Right? Oh, that- that's dope. He was also a mourner because his brother right? just died. And his brother had just died inexplicably, like struck down by God. Sudden, unexpected death. Whoa. That's interesting. That is really interesting. Maybe, maybe we should challenge Primer Kinski and say, like, give Onan a go give Onan the character a better read and say, like, he didn't want to get with Tamar because he's in this state of grief. We don't know what their relationship was like. It's it's a it's pretty like a tall psychological ask to like right. have sex with your brother's widow yeah oh it's a hard I like this reading right for a thing there's another thing I was thinking about as as this all came to my realization right that it was a, a possibility <laughs> like this connection of um of sex and orgasm and semen and this this word onen and I'm wondering about mourning the potential of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought about this a lot in the context of like the laws. We're actually about to, to be there in, a, in the Torah portion, but the laws around menstruation and Nida and separation and what does it mean to have the potential of life within us? 
and not realize that potential. So I'll offer a reflection. I think one of the things that's important to understand is that a seminal emission, and the Torah understands this as well, like seminal emissions, like ejaculation is natural, um, particularly in the context of like wet dreams, right? And the Torah actually talks about that, like a man who has a seminal emission and they, they're, they're, it's relatively vague. Like he's not, he's not killed. He's not, you know, karet, like, like, cut off from the community. He's, he's ritually impure for, for a day. And then he goes outside the camp, purifies himself and comes back in. It probably happens all the time. Like we are all, all, you know, we are all in a state of ritual impurity. The word impurity in English makes it sound like a negative thing, but it's not, it's just a state of being. Um, and it's the same thing with, with menstruation. It gets more complicated with menstruation because there's, the, the tension that we have to navigate of women reading the text, a text that was, you know, in, is sort of embedded in this very patriarchal um, society. And it's highly unlikely that there were female redactors of these narratives. So anytime that men talk about women's bodies, I'm like, oh, what's this? <laughs> so that, that's tense. That's tense. But um, I'm, I'm here for men talking about men's bodies. In fact, men should talk about their bodies more. So it's really fascinating to say, like, you know, at least Dorita, like when you're deriving law directly from the Torah, right? You can't look at this and think anything other than like they understood ejaculation as something that happens and you you there's some kind of potential for life that's been lost. There's a, a an element of ritual impurity, right? You step out and you step back. In fact, it would be amazing if we had a ritual like that in modern times. Like what's the bracha for a masturbation, right? What's the blessing for, how do we sanctify or create intention around um, masturbation or masturbation to orgasm if you're a man and you're doing it in a context where there's no possibility for, for impregnation because you're alone or because you you're gay or because whatever, like that's, our responsibility as modern Jews is to say like, wow, this, this is a holy fluid. Let's honor it and lift it up. Like why be so, you know, why be so prude? <laughs> One other thing that I've been holding and thinking about in this conversation is also the proximity of death and life. They are pieces of the same breath. Yeah. It's an inhale and an exhale so closely related as to be indistinguishable at times. And that's what I think, you know, whenever I have this conversation around the sort of interwovenness of life and death, whether we're talking about bodies or, or bodily fluids or... What is that in the background? Lucy's choking on something. Oh my God, girl. Hold on a second. Hi there. I'm jumping in to let you know that Lucy is Jess's dog and she had gotten something stuck in her mouth. She was totally okay. I thought about editing around it, but the conversation was too good. You'll hear this little poodle coughing a bit over the next few minutes. Just a dog doing dog things. And as a bonus, you also get to hear our unsuccessful attempts at trying not to laugh. One of the things I always think about when I think about this interwovenness of life and death, and it is interwoven, it's inextricably linked in Jewish thought. Um, I think about water 
I think about water because you can't live without it and it'll kill you. And isn't it amazing that water or immersion in water in the context of the mikvah, which is the, the Jewish ritual bath, is what purifies us, is what transports us from the state of being ritually impure to being ritually pure. So there's, there's just no... There's just no way of understanding this conceptually or understanding it in terms of the rituals that deliver us from state of being to state of being, the rituals that move us or move our bodies through these liminal spaces. It's very profound. There's a sense of um, just another connection to death is You've always worn white on your wedding day in Judaism. It's a relatively new thing in, in you know, the Western canon of wedding ritual. It's actually uh, Queen Victoria wore white on her wedding day. And that's why that's where it comes from in modern in a modern context. But in Jewish tradition, you wear white on your wedding day, particularly this garment called a kittel, which which you are wrapped in. You wear it on Yom Kippur. You wear it on your wedding day. You wear it at these moments when you are so, you're at the apes, you're such at an, an apex moment of life that you are as close to death as you can be. And you're also buried in it. You're buried or wrapped in a shroud, a white linen shroud in, in um, traditional Judaism to emulate, to emulate that same moment. To, it's, it's another liminal space. You pass from state of being into state of being. And you see it in all kinds of the, in, in all sorts of the nuances of Jewish ritual are these like layers of meaning that connect life and death. It's just so potent. Thank you, Jess, for this deep dive into ecstasy and grief orgasm and death. My mind is buzzing. Mine too. It was a great pleasure in every sense of the word. You're here. Thank you, friend. Thanks for having me. Do you or someone you know have a story to share? Or are there topics you'd want to hear me cover? Reach out to me, Sarit, through the website besideproject.org. There you will also find written posts, resources, and explorations of where Judaism meets death and dying. Thanks for listening, and talk to you soon.